Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And it's good to be with you all. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate your support, even though we're not together. It's it's nice to feel the spiritual support of our listeners, who I know are praying for us as we pray for all of you. Um, it's great to have these means of, of modern communication to, to connect with one another beyond the borders of our diocese, and we'll just keep lifting one another up. Father, how are you these days? Father Shane, I'm doing well. I do have some beef to call out, and I don't know if these guys are going to listen again, but I do have some okay. beef to call out. What do you got? Two of my students listen to a podcast, a certain mm-hmm. outcast Catholic. Okay. I was working in my office the other day in the school, um, and I'm now officing in the back of the chapel when I'm available to be there, and I had the chapel door kicked open. But my office is right kind of to the back, so they couldn't see me as I was walking in. And I heard these two particular gentlemen, who you know, and I'll tell you their names later, um, they walk by and I hear one of them say, yeah, I listen to the Outcast Catholic podcast. It's so boring. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I fly out into the hallway and I call the two gentlemen out and said, guys, <laughs> what? I said, which one did you listen to? And they said, ah, the one with Father Shane and that other priest. I said, the one with Monsignor Shea? I said, that was like one of the best episodes we've had. I said, that was <laughs> so wonderful as he was talking about that new publication, Religion uh-huh. of the Day. So... Listeners out there who really appreciated that episode as much as I did, um, I guess, you know, the the high schoolers just aren't really maybe mature enough to receive uh, Monsignor Shea's message. Maybe it's a little over their head talking about, you know, the Gnosticism of the day. <laughs> that might have Maybe been they're it. feeling a little outcast from outcast Catholic, or maybe we're just not that cool for that. That many of those things might be true. That would be a pretty meta yes. experience to feel outcast from the outcast Catholic. So meta. I ran into a few listeners recently as I was covering masses throughout the diocese. So for those of you who said hello, thank you for the podcast. Thank you for listening Mm -hmm. and thank you for uh, supporting us. Mm -hmm. We hope that this can be a, you know, a mutual enrichment of our ministry and your life in the church. So in an effort to um, try and hook in some teenagers who, you know, might not want to talk about Gnosticism in its modern forms, let's talk about today. The scariest words ever. I Ooh, wish we had like a juicy. Yeah, I like wish a, we had like an echo button on your soundboard. Or I was the thinking scariest more of like words a, ever, ever, ever. I was thinking that's good. I was also thinking of like a Halloween kind of like. Yeah. <laughs> the scariest words ever. We are not recording this on Halloween. We are recording this uh, actually in February on the brink of Lent. But that's okay. This is Lent the closest is thing. Scary. This is the closest thing we have. The scariest things ever. <laughs> That's good and ironic for the Gen Z kids out there, you know? Yeah, well, appreciate so that. scary. The scariest words ever. I was in a conversation with uh, Deacon Jim Keating once um, in recent weeks, and um, you know, we were just pointing out certain phrases, especially in Matthew's gospel, really in their most grandiose sense, are really the scariest words ever. And, and you might hear that title think, ooh, the scariest words ever. What's it going to be? Is it going to be... I'm about to kidnap you. I'm about to hold you ransom. I'm about to, you know, assault you or something. No. The scariest words ever actually run so deep that it it just, you know, speaks into the inner core of our personhood. Uh, and it comes up at least in Matthew's gospel, you know, several times, especially when you look at chapter 7, okay? 
Um, so should I? Should I? Like, I was just going to say you, you're right doing now? a great job of just stringing us along right now. Yeah. I'm here for it. Uh, I will reveal this in five. Also, minutes. No, but I'm just friends, kidding. those of you who've been around for a little while and like know the difference between our personalities, Father Shane likes a good kind of spiritual like gut punch sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and he kind of comes drop. in, it's kind of like a sucker punch. So like he does this with the <laughs> scariest words ever. And then he's, you know, that they're going to hit you and they're going to hit you to your core and you're going to uh-huh. be like, Oh, that's oh, extremely boy. deep. And <laughs> yeah, so Father, us. Father David Heeman once said, you're a velvet hammer. You hit that people. <laughs> a great way to put it. That is a great way to put it. Yeah. Oh, but it's so soft when he, when he hit me yeah. with it. He hit me. But I feel comforted. Velvet's nice and fluffy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> the scariest words ever. If you go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, check out verses 21 through 23. Jesus says in this teaching, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them solemnly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. You were out proclaiming my name. You thought you were ministering you know, for my benefit. You thought you were trying to be about my kingdom. And yet you and I had zero relationship with one another. And you actually weren't paying attention to my promptings, my graces, my desires from heaven as you were out kind of getting wrapped up in what you thought was your agenda. And then in that same uh, that same gospel, if you go down to, um, or th- that same gospel book of Matthew, if you go down to chapter 25, we get the famous parable of the ten virgins. You know, five of them were foolish, five were wise, five brought oil for their flask, and suddenly you know, at midnight, there comes a cry that the bridegroom comes. And those with flasks went off with their trimmed lamps to go with the bridegroom into the wedding feast. And the others had to go look for more oil. Um, And afterwards, when those other virgins came back and knocked on the door, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. He said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. And Deacon Keating and I were just kind of remarking on the fact that those really are the scariest words in all of reality. And, and I'm, I'm talking about the biggest sense of reality, right. you know, with a, a view towards soteriology and uh, eschatology, the end times to come, as we all meet the Lord in our own particular judgment after death, to stand before the source of all life, to stand before the source of all being, all truth, all justice, all knowledge, the one who created us, the one who died and redeemed us, the one who we hope will actually welcome us into eternal life, to hear those those shattering words that would resonate in the very depths of one's soul, I didn't know you. You are, I mean, obviously God sees everybody and he holds them in love by the fact that they are in existence. But to say, to actually hear God the Almighty say, we don't have a relationship because you don't know me and you haven't allowed me and my love to fully enter and penetrate your life. To hear those words at the end of one's life after all the plans and agendas that we might have created for ourselves, to say, no, you're not actually known by me. We, we didn't have a bond. Terrifying in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I'm actually really fascinated um, to talk about this, Father Shane, because what I find is that nobody really wants to recognize how scary those words are. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Seems like two big temptations um, I encounter with folks is that one, you could believe how scary it is without having any kind of hope and fall into kind of like a frantic scrupulosity of like, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll never know me. I could never possibly do enough. I have to try really hard. I have to work really hard mm-hmm. um, to get him to love me because God's, you know, big and scary, you know? Right. So that's like one side. The other side, though, this just came up in a few conversations recently. I don't think we people don't want to admit what a life is without relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, not to not to dive into any details. Um, someone recently experienced um, an acquaintance having uh, taken their own life, having died by suicide. Mm-hmm. It's very tragic, and there were conversations that followed. That, of course, we're talking about the good characteristic of this person's life. But there was this kind of, there was this kind of fear that I, could, that I could hear in these conversations of like, but God's good, right? Like, but he's not going to actually, and, and there's so much to say, not to take as far afield about how mental health plays into somebody taking their own life by suicide or how all these different things affect a person's choice and their power and their will. But there was almost this like fear of like, okay, but if somebody died and they weren't in relationship with God, like God, God's going to be good in the end, right? Like he's going to, he's going to make it okay. Like he's going to just make it better. Cause I'd much rather have somebody that I know be in heaven than not be in heaven, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just have noticed that recently, you know, maybe it's the reluctance to return to confession or the reluctance to have a frequent experience at mass. And maybe when myself or other priest have pointed out the necessity to, respond to God's love by kind of a faithful discipleship with things like frequent confession or regular um, attendance at mass on Sundays, Mm -hmm. things like that. There's almost this pushback that's like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. God's not some like big bad bully who's going to, you know, he's always going to help us out. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a paradox that I think it'll actually be really helpful to step into, like, because those words are scary and our Lord did say them. Right. And presumably meant them, as you just explained. Yeah, and so you said earlier, trying harder is obviously one extreme. I just have to try harder, then God will love me. Well, you're never going to earn God's love. There's nothing that we're going to do. He's already, he's already, you know, fully redeemed us on the wood of the cross, and He invites us to share in the gift of that Paschal mystery, the gift of new life that came through His passion, death, and resurrection. So entering into that as free gift, um, and setting aside any sort of resistance that we might put up towards receiving that gift, you know, that's a good remedy to that first extreme. Doing more and trying harder does not win daddy's love in heaven. Right. I just have to try harder and then God will barely be pleased with me. Yeah. Well, how's that going for you? Right. You know, that's an exhausting way to live. And nowhere in, nowhere in the gospels does Jesus say, you know, you must earn my love. You know, it just doesn't happen that way. Right. Um, you know, and, and to think that, you know, God is somehow this berating figure um, that we have to somehow grovel and before or somehow appease with, you know, big and creative fashionable means that isn't, you know, how the Lord wants to enter into true relationship. He's not interested in treating us like slaves. He's called us to be friends as he says in John's gospel, um, nor does he want us to be groveling at his feet. Anyone, you know, as God who's going to say, let's come to earth as incarnate and die for my creatures out of love. Uh, so that they might have the gift of my eternal love in them for all eternity and share in our Trinitarian life. 
for God to to do that as as His uh, you know project for our redemption, nowhere in there does He say so. Then they can grovel at my feet, and then they can you know wait on me hand and foot and you know make me a sandwich. That's just not how the Lord looks upon us as His beloved sons and daughters who actually is so longing and so desirous of sharing his eternal life with us. Um, so yeah, you would really want to avoid some of these really extreme behaviors when interpreting these words to say, I never knew you. Uh, it's not intended for us to just do more, to try harder, to take on the whole burden of relationship by ourselves. Uh, so I think the deeper question is, how do we avail ourselves so that his relational capacity steps into our world? How do we allow God to step into our lives and to actually, you know, call us by his voice and his plans and with great docility respond to that and with generosity at the same time. I think that's the way to kind of step into those words in a way that's not intimidating, but actually provides life and a strong foundation for authentic relationship. Yeah, that's very, um, the reflection that's offered there from even pondering those words, which I don't know if I've really done with a lot of intentionality. Mm-hmm. I think when we hear those, it can sound like it's this condemnation. Mm-hmm. I never knew you. Mm-hmm. You're bad for that. But the the more I'm just kind of reflecting as you're speaking, Father Shane, like Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And as he speaks just plainly, and like, yeah, there's examples in the Gospels where he says things emphatically and firmly, but he doesn't have this kind of like this resentment or this anger but it's, I think like you pointed out in the beginning, it's just a, it's a statement of fact. I'm not in relationship with you. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, that's even scarier because it's like you, you'd want to just sort of categorize God, categorize Christ here in this example. Yeah, as like this big mean guy who, like you just said, right, that we need to grovel in front of. But it's even scarier there. Mm-hmm. I don't have a relationship with you, Right. And if we kind of lie to ourselves and say that we do, when we don't, um, mm-hmm. something needs to change. But it seems like the invitation is always more simple than we make it, right? The mm-hmm. offer is always there that we're in relationship with them. So it's, it's scary only to a point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what's coming to mind is imagine you're in a, a fraternity or a sorority in college. So you're at a large university, you join a sorority or in fraternity, you're there for four years. And then after living with, I don't know, 30 or 40 young men and women in these sororities and fraternities, on the weekend of your graduation from the university, you're packing up your things, and a member of your sorority, a member of your fraternity in your class is coming down the stairs with their boxes of clothes and books and things. As you're moving out, they're moving out, and you stand in the hallway and you look at one another and you say, oh, we lived together for four years in this frat house or sorority, but we never knew each other. That'd be terribly tragic and awkward. And how much more would that resonate as you stand before the Lord, your Redeemer, to say, I never made the effort to get to know you, and I didn't receive you in your your entirety, your gifts and talents, everything that you you, you could mean to me. If we wouldn't do that with a college roommate in a sorority or fraternity, how much more impactful will that be as we stand before the Lord? And so we invest in the, the oil of our lamps in the, in the Ten Virgins parable, right? What is the oil classically interpreted as? Well, having relationship, right? <laughs> um, those who are keeping their lamps trimmed, those who are investing in relationship with God, those who are dwelling in communion with the Trinity, well, th- their lamps never go, they never go dry. 
there's always fresh oil by the life of grace and the life of communion with the Lord that is, is keeping them alight, um, that's, that's keeping their lives moving forward and keeping things afloat. Uh, it's those who go dry, who, who really aren't arrival, ready for the arrival of the Messiah, they have no relationship. They have no capacity to enter into that, and then they're, they're going to be you know, blocked out of the door you know, from, from eternal relationship with the Lord. Mm. Uh, so how do we keep investing in that oil to, uh, to um, dispose ourselves properly to good relationship with the Lord? Uh, I think that's one of the great journeys of the spiritual life. And to recognize that relationship is possible, I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Wherever our listeners find themselves, whether you find, I, <laughs> it doesn't seem like, I mean, maybe some people who find themselves in a really like rich and beautiful life of prayer. Maybe the mystics would have said this, but I don't know. Maybe the humility of saints. No, it doesn't seem like anybody's ever sort of like at the point of arrival with their relationship with God, right? Which I think mm-hmm. is healthy. When you talk to anybody, it seems like they, they want to grow more. They feel mm-hmm. like they could be growing more in their relationship with God. They could be more faithful to a life of prayer. They could be more faithful to all of the different like pieces of the church that are available, the mm-hmm. sacraments, the devotionals of the church. I mean, I would say that any good priest that I know would say that, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually a little pride if you're like, nope, I'm good, good mm-hmm. spot. You know, <laughs> I love asking that question. Sometimes in confession, what do you need or want the most from God right now? And mm-hmm. recently, um, a particularly you know young person might have said, uh, nothing, I'm good. <laughs> I kind of laughed like, oh, okay, um, all right. That's interesting, but mm-hmm. what's helpful is wherever our listeners find themselves, wherever you and I find ourselves, when Christ says that, there's not just this sort of like, and so you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. I've never known you, so you're out of luck. Um, no, there's always the opportunity to start again mm-hmm. and to turn back to him. And the turn back to him is always so much closer than I think we assume. I think we mm-hmm. always assume that we need to turn back and then travel like 100 miles before we get back into this kind of place of relationship with God that we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually just offering in my homily this past weekend that kind of classic line from Augustine that does the desire to love God is already God's grace at work in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that works against Pelagianism that we need to earn God's love, mm-hmm. that he's already there. He's already working in our lives. He's already desiring a relationship with us mm-hmm. and he, he honors our freedom so that our opportunity, once we recognize it, we get to turn back and say, Jesus, I choose you. Mm-hmm. And there's a simplicity with that. Right. Um, it's not like a, well, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm just in trouble now. You know, I guess mm-hmm. I'm just, I got a dry lamp, so what am I supposed to do? You know, mm-hmm. I guess I'm just going to carry on this dry lamp and then just, you know, be depressed. No, that's not true. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So what makes these words so scary is to have their the full resonance of them hit you at a point in judgment where there is no room to build a relationship. But right. they need not be scary now, Correct. because the opportunity to replenish your lamp in relationship with God in this lifetime is always in front of us the opportunity for ongoing conversion, the opportunity to, to deepen one's relationship in, in the spiritual life is always there. They will be most scary in the world to come when there, when there isn't an, an, an opportunity to have a second chance to redo one's entire life. That's when the full impact and gravity would hit one. But for now, there is always hope and there's always conversion in a renewed relationship with God. And we keep trusting in that. So, Father, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Father Shane. And I would just maybe end with this kind of simple thing I often tell young people that just kind of is synthesis of this is (laughs) if we're in relationship with God and we die, we stay in relationship with God. 
if we're not in relationship with God, if we've chosen not to be and we die, we don't just magically poof into relationship with him, right? Mm -hmm. But there's hope in this season of repentance that we can actually turn back to him and mm -hmm. be in the relationship that he you know, intends for us. That's right. Thanks, Father Shane. Those were scary words. <laughs> scary words in eternal life, but for right now, hopefully lots of hope. God bless everyone. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.